We're working with a, a mic like this. I tend to move around a lot, so I've just decided I'm going to take this off. Just um, unbreak. <laughs> I've literally snapped it. I've literally just snapped it. I've literally just snapped the mic stand. Right. Yes! Start, start. to change our decision. 
Decision-making is a very complex process, but we're going to focus on two things. You might pick up on those two things, captivation and calculation. Captivation and calculation. And so we hear, we see it, two men. One finds treasure in a field, one finds a pearl. Now, um, has anyone got this book at home? You haven't got it at home because it's here. <laughs> anyone got this book? Now, the, um, the story of the pearl is in here. Have we got the slide, Casey, or not? We have. So this is the man when you see the merchant when he sees the pearl of great price. <laughs> Can anyone recreate that? So anyone who's quite rotund and bold, anyone? No, no one going to. You're not rotund and bold. No, but there's a cat. Can you see in his eyes? Even his moustache has reacted in excitement at seeing the pearl of great price. He's seen it, he's been captivated. He's a merchant, he knows what's valuable. And he's been captivated. We can look at a story in John 4 of the woman by the well and she meets Jesus. And she's captivated by this man who shouldn't be talking to him and knows everything that she's ever done, but who loves her. She's been in multiple relationships, she's currently committing adultery. But he knows this and he loves her and she is captivated. And she goes and tells everyone about this man. Jesus. But you can go to John 12 and look at Mary with the expensive nard, this expensive perfume, and she chooses to spend it because she's captivated by Jesus. She, she bows down, she gets her hair out, she cries, she cleans his feet with her hair and then puts this expensive perfume. She's not making a financial calculation, she's captivated by who Jesus is. When people see Jesus for who he really is, they're captivated. They are captivated. Now we're told in Isaiah there was no physical beauty in Jesus. You see, unlike, unlike me, you, it's hard enough to be distracted by my beauty at the moment. So I need you to focus back on what I'm saying rather than on this specimen of gorgeousness. Unlike me, Jesus had no physical appearance that was attractive. People weren't attracted to that. I don't really think I'm amazing and beautiful, by the way. Humility is a key. Then we'll come on to that in a second. But we see in Jesus majestic beauty. John catches a glimpse of this in Revelation 2, doesn't he? Let's just turn there quickly, if I can try and get there one-handed in the Bible without losing my place in Matthew. Look at this, skills. We need a microphone, don't we? Ben will never use this one now, I can't break two. Revelation 1, um, we're going to go to. This is John, and he has a vision of Jesus. I'm still in Peter. I'm, I'm there, I'm there. Revelation 1. So this is John. I turned around to see the voice of the one who was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. Let's use our imagination here. His head and hair were like white like wool and as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire, his feet like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held out seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though... 
when we see Jesus as he truly is, we're captivated. We're amazed. We might even fall down on our feet in adoration or fall down on our feet in fear, holy, reverent fear, when we see Jesus as he really is. Or Philippians 2, we see this humility in Jesus which is beautiful, who he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, but instead made himself nothing. Taking the nature of a servant, of a slave, and being made like a human in human likeness. He was found in appearance as a man, but yet he humbled himself. He became obedient to death. The God of all time and eternity who spoke the world into being becomes obedient to death. Even death on a cross, a place of shame, a place of curse, a place of disgust, a place of death. The Almighty One. This same one we read about in Revelation 1 is the same one who chooses willingly to lay down his life for us in pure humility and love. And of course, that's what we know. God is love. Jesus is love. Not love that we know in this world, something greater and beyond that. This is his love, that he laid down his life for us. There is no greater love. Forget Hollywood and romance and rom-coms. That's got nothing on this. Greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for someone else. That's what God's done for you. And for you. And for me. He loved us. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son to die for us on the cross. We look at Jesus. When we see him as he really is, we are captivated. We're drawn in. Are we really seeing Jesus as he truly is? Are we getting those Revelation 1 glimpses and those Philippians 2 glimpses and the gospel glimpses of this wonderful man who drew tax collectors and sinners? They loved him. They wanted to be with him. Have we seen Jesus for who he truly is? There's also a calculation that takes place, isn't there? Because he's a merchant. The pearl merchant knows the deal. He, he wants to make money. He wants to make sure he's secure. He knows what he's getting. He does the calculation. So I just want trading. That's what he's doing. Trading in for a pearl. I'm going to do some trading this morning with you guys. So I have here. Anyone know what this is? Gavin. It's a massager for training. That's an interesting way of describing it. Laura. It's a foam roller. Yes, it is, it is functionally what you call it, Gav. But that sounds like someone you paid to do a service. <laughs> Which this isn't. This, you have to work this yourself. Um, who wants to trade something for this? Gav, what do you want to trade? Um, massage. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, uh, I would go for that. But that biscuit? Uh, no, it's, it's not worth it, I'm afraid. Anyone else want to trade? A ball of wool? Uh, uh, yes, I'll take that trade. So, uh, I can't move because I'm attached to the wire. Hosanna, come on, run down, quickly. Come on, Hosanna, run. Come on, swap, let's go. You take that, I'll take the wool. Brilliant, you take that, give that to mummy. Fantastic. 
I've got another try. Now, let me be clear. Hold on a second. Hold on. Don't jump into this. This is not a cabbage cream egg. It is a caramel egg. So, I've got. Uh, anyone want to trade? I need something to trade with. Uh, yeah, I'll take Esme for the cabaret. That's illegal. No. You don't trade children. Joshua, what do you want to trade? An empty cup. Mm, it's a good try. Yes. Benjamin. Daniel, sorry. Mentos, let's do it. It's a good trade. Yeah. It's one. One Mentos. Look at that. There is a lot of calculation. Luke 12 tells us this. Before you build a tower, count the cost. Work out what it's going to cost you. Before you embark upon something big, work out what it's going to cost you. Richard, when he starts building stuff, you don't go, wow, it'll be all right, won't it? <laughs> Life's motto. There's some level of calculation that goes on when you build something important and you want it to last. You work out what it's going to cost you. John's building a, a drum boat for us and he's worked out the cost to the finest detail and I appreciate that. That's much appreciated. On both sides, financial calculations and also building that drum boat. It's fantastic. But there's a point here, the, mer the merchant knows how much that pearl's worth. He knows how much he's got and he's prepared to make that trade. There is a sacrifice involved. We have to give something up. But you know something, you get something better. Something bigger. Unlike my trade with Wiley, <laughs> where I'm worse off. Let me assure you in the kingdom of God, that is not what happens. <laughs> what is so important when we make these calculations is this. A heavenly perspective. You see, we often make our decisions on this basis. Well, what's going to benefit me most in this world, in the here and now? Now, I could spend a whole hour talking about this whole concept of investing in heaven rather than earthly things. But when we make our calculations about the sacrifices we're prepared to make for the sake of the kingdom and the sake of Jesus, we need to think about heaven, investing in heaven. It is the best place to invest. You see, the bonds always go up in heaven, they never go down. I don't want to say too much more about that, we're on a time scale. Um, so we'll, we'll say that for another day, but you get the point. But let's look again at what the words actually say. We've seen this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. It doesn't say Jesus. Jesus is saying it, so we likely for him to say that anyway. But it doesn't say God, it says the kingdom of heaven. So I just want to broaden our understanding of what this parable means. You see, surely Jesus is worth it. Sacrificing, giving our lives up for him, surely. But there's something broader there that says the kingdom of God is attractive. The kingdom of God is beautiful. The kingdom of God is captivating. And so it's not just the fact that Jesus is so wonderful, and he is. But it's the fact that when we let him rule and reign in our lives, something beautiful happens. 
You see, what doesn't happen is this. My life doesn't necessarily get more comfortable. I don't necessarily get the things that I want, but I commit myself to living the way God wants, and something beautiful is created. It may actually be harder for me, but I know what's happening is that the reign and rule of God is coming in. I'm welcoming it. I'm embracing it. I know he's getting glory, and I'm investing in heaven. The kingdom of God is like a pearl. The kingdom of God is like treasure found in a field, which means we need to fight a battle with what the world will say is beautiful and good. Has anyone... Let me tell you a story. On Sunday afternoon last week, Lily went with her grandparents down to town to go and buy a toy for her birthday. Very exciting. And so she went up to the entertainer to go and buy the toy, and she walked up to the door, and the doors didn't open. It was closed. How dare they? Lily wants to buy a present. It's closed. Now, does anyone know why the doors of the entertainment was closed on Sunday? Because it's Christian owned, that's right. Yeah. So the guy who owns the entertainer has not, not gone with the world's values, which is make as much money as possible. Oh, your business might go, you're going to lose business if you don't open on a Sunday. He's gone, no, there's, there's something bigger at stake. Now, I'm not making a rule here, but there's a principle that he's lived in faith, which is, I'm not going to open on Sunday to look after my staff. I'm not going to bow to the pressure of the world that says making the most amount of money is the most important thing. Say, no, there's, there's bigger things at stake. So that's why the entertainer wasn't open. Let me talk about sport. Let me talk about myself. When I was a teenager, sport was everything. I'd watch everything on TV. I'd go to every match where we were season ticket holders at Coventry City, whether it was a blessing or a punishment, I don't know which. <laughs> but we used to go, it was a bit of an idol. Everything was revolved around sport. Again, I'm not making rules here. There's a principle. My heart was invested in sport more than it was in the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God can be served by sport. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But if you ask me as a teenager, if there was a big international match on and a meeting on, I know which one I'd go to. I'd go and watch the match. Again, I'm not making rules. It's not right or wrong. But I want to be someone who invests, my priority is investing in the kingdom of God. And there are things that the world would value that we just got to devalue. There are things that the world says are great pearls. We've got to say, no, they're not. There may be good in it. There may be things that are of the kingdom in it. But we've got to put a heavenly perspective on it and understand what they truly are. I teach on a Thursday morning to some train to a bunch of people that, oh, thanks, love. <laughs> um, that just want to learn how to be a disciple of Jesus. And on our live syllabus, we cover things like this. We say, Jesus, what do you want us to do with our time? Jesus, what do you want us to do with our money? Jesus, how do you want me to build friendships in and outside the church? Jesus, how do I deal with my fears? And there's a, a broad spectrum of stuff. We invite the Bible and Jesus to speak into every area of our lives because the kingdom is everything. The rule of God is everywhere. We're inviting men. And so, yes, there's difficult decisions to make sometimes, but we're creating something that is beautiful. Okay, I'm going to move something. Right, let me read the passage again. Just to draw attention to one little three-letter word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure of field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had. 
and bore that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it all. It says everything here. In the, uh, in the new version, it's got 2011 translation, it says all in there as well. The word all is repeated. The point is this. When we come to Jesus, we're not after an app that we can add onto our phone. We're not after, after something else that tags onto the side of our lives. We're saying everything. All for you, Jesus. And that means sacrifice. How does Jesus call his disciples in Matthew 16, 24? Take up your cross and follow me. If I can rephrase that, die to yourself that you might live. Put down your desires, your plans, and embrace mine. Take up your cross and follow me. Right, Greek lesson. I'm going to try and pronounce this right. There's a word in Greek, and it's pistiou. <laughs> Genuinely, I'm not being comedy. That is what it is. Pistiou. And in our English translations, it's translated faith, trust, and belief. And we have to use three different words because we haven't got one word that means that same thing. But it means something more than that. It's got an all element to it. So I'm going to take a step forward and use this chair. Do I believe in this chair? Do I trust this chair? Have I got faith in this chair to take my weight? Past records are not good on me today, but I'm going to... The same with the Australian push through. So, look, see, I trust this chair, don't I? Yeah? I'm now lunging publicly on a, on a chair. And... Uh, uh, so for the sake of the illustration, I shall lunge. Uh, I am putting my full weight on it. I, I trust that chair. Yeah, no props. Yeah, fully trusted. Really? No. no, I've not fully trusted that chair. I haven't. I have to put my full weight on it. I'm not going to stand there. I think I'm going to fall off, so I'm going to kneel on it. That was a bit more unstable than I expected. I'm putting my full weight on this chair. All of it is going on the chair. Every bit of my weight is now on this chair. I am trusting it. It will take my weight. It will carry me. It is for me. We are to pursue Jesus. We're to trust in him. We're going to put our whole weight on him. We're going to put all our eggs in one basket. We're not going to spread the risk across different pots. Jesus is an all commitment. Jesus is an everything commitment. And he is totally and utterly trustworthy. And when you put your weight on him, you won't wobble like that chair did. He's strong and able to carry us through everything. Jack and the Beanstalk, great story, isn't it? Jack trades his cow, the means of income for his family, he trades all of that for some beans. He would trade a cow for beans. His mum didn't think it was a good idea. She called him a fool. What a fool you are. Throws the beans away. And guess what happens? 
beanstalk grows up and he climbs up the beanstalk and pilfers from a giant. That's <laughs> yeah, not quite that part of the immoral story, shall we? But for our sake, he gets called a fool, and maybe he was. There's a guy, a missionary called Jim Elliot, who's a missionary to Ecuador, and he felt God call him to go to a group of unreached people who were cannibals. That means that if someone came into their camp that they didn't know, they thought it was dinner time. He said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Our merchant, our man, they give up everything for this one thing. You see, when we give up our lives to Jesus, when we say, it's no longer for me, it's for you, it may feel like we've lost a lot. But we've lost what we were going to lose anyway. But we've gained something that we will never lose. And that is intimate, joyful, life-giving relationship with Jesus, which will continue forever and ever and ever. So if you want to talk about training, if you want to talk about calculations, if you want to talk about what's worth it, a Minto and a Cadbury, Cadbury's Caramel Egg, well, take, take the Cadbury's Caramel Egg rather than the Minto. The Cadbury's Caramel Egg will not last forever, though, so that, that isn't so, <laughs> it three seconds flat. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me make another illustration. I'm, I'm driving the same point home. I'm repeating myself for a reason. This is so foundational. We hear much about refugees who come over in small boats. Even this morning it's on the news. There are people willing to risk their whole lives to get to the UK. They'll go out on a boat to risk it. And we go, wow, that's just crazy. But it's worth it for them. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't think it was worth it. And they don't come to the UK, get their status and get a passport and go, look, I've got a passport and they're back again. They've not come for the passport. They've come for the life, for the opportunities. Christianity, my friends, is not a badge to put on your shirt. To walk around and say, I'm a Christian. It's the life. It is everything. And it is worth giving everything up for. Let me make one more point, and then we'll look at eye to eye to wrap us up. Let's just notice in this parable something that is blatantly obvious, but I want to draw attention to it. There is no one behind the man or a merchant with a gun saying, you have to make this trade. You have to buy this field. There's no one forcing them to do it. Do you know that? And again, let me make the blatantly obvious statement why. They've seen something wonderful and beautiful, and it makes sense. They're captivated, and they've made a calculation. They know exactly what they want to do. And so as we move forward as a science, I'd love us to be captivated with Jesus, to make some calculations about what sacrifices are worth it. To say, we lay down our lives to live for you, Jesus, in every single way, because he is worth it. Let's go to Isaiah 6 and see this worked out in his life. He catches a glimpse of God. He's captivated, but then let's see what happens, shall we? 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. It's an amazing image of God, the holy God, the awesome God, the wonderful God. Isaiah is having a, a vision and he sees God. And we notice, let's see what his reaction is. No doubt he's amazed, no doubt he's fearful, but his reaction is this Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I'm a man, I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's seen beautiful, pure holiness. He's glimpsed the Lord Almighty. He's seen God for who he really is. And his reaction is, I deserve to die. I deserve death. That's our predicament, friends. That is our predicament in our lives, the way we've lived, the things that we've done wrong, the things that we've not done, we have committed sins and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not good enough for him. Isaiah knows this. Do you know that? I want to just paint a bleak picture. We deserve death. We deserve the punishment of God. Let's, let's be clear about that. He's holy and he's asked for more of us than we can give. But you know something? He's given us something. Let's see how it works out with Isaiah. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. When then he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Woe to me. I'm unclean. I deserve death. But then we look again at God in the form of Jesus on the cross, taking the punishment we deserve taking the wrath of God that we deserve, paying the price, the God of love, the God of holiness, the God of mercy, the God of grace, willingly sacrificing himself for us. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What's going to be Isaiah's reaction now? He's seen the Lord Almighty. He's had his guilt taken away, his sin removed. What's his reaction? What's your reaction? Knowing what Jesus has done for you. And the cry comes from heaven. Who will go? Who can I send? And Isaiah, like donkey in Shrek. Pick me! Pick me! Pick me! He's desperately the one that God sends. Why? Because his life is worth nothing unless he's doing the will of God. Unless he's following the sending of God. Here I am. Send me. And God says, go. The pearl of great price. Treasure in the field. We see Jesus. We need to be captivated by him. Amazed by him. Know this great love that he's given to us. How he's dealt with our sin. And called us into a kingdom that is also beautiful. And God will say to us today, 
Who can I send? He will go for me. And let the cry of our hearts be this, Lord, send me. Send me. Let's pray.